Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Common Room Talk. My name's Tony, and I'm your host. So, last week was episode 10. We are now in the double digits, and it has been a crazy ride so far. And even though we're two and a half months in, I've noticed a huge difference so far in just the way that I'm speaking, pausing, just the things that I'm wanting to incorporate, the the way that I'm getting in and editing. There is just such a huge difference from the very first episode to where we are now, and it, it just makes me excited. It makes me happy knowing that we are progressing, and it's it's really cool getting to actually do this with you guys, getting all the feedback that I'm getting, and knowing that there is progression being made and being seen and the people that do know me personally that listen to this they they tell me these things and they they give me this feedback and it is just so wonderful to hear and i like that that people are listening to it and they're enjoying it that is the best part is hearing people i, I won't mention a name but somebody who is rather close to me finally started listening this week you know who you are finally started listening this week and he said and i quote i'm actually loving this and so it's nice. I love hearing those things because that's the best part is I thoroughly enjoy Harry Potter. And so when other people get to enjoy it too, whether it's on their own or they're kind of just taking on a little bit of my excitement or somewhere in between, I absolutely love it. It is exciting. It's contagious. It, it makes me want to keep doing this. It makes me want to record more and more. And so for you guys who are listening, who are enjoying this, thank you. And please reach out, commonroomtalk at gmail.com. Email me. Tell me these things. Let me know what you think. Tell me if you're enjoying them. Tell me if you're not enjoying them, and then tell me why. And let's talk about it. I want to grow this podcast. I think this is a really cool and unique way to go through this series that's not watching the movies and it's not reading the books. It's not listening to the audio books. It's new. It's un- well, maybe not new. I'm sure other people have tried this. I haven't listened to a lot of other podcasts about Harry Potter, but going through the books chapter by chapter like this, talking about different theories, talking about different points of views, any of these things, contradictions, um, continuity errors, these are all so much fun to talk about, and I want to keep growing it. So please, again, commonroomtalk at gmail.com. There's also a Facebook page, same name, Common Room Talk. Also on Reddit under Common Room Talk. It's redundant, I know. But find me on there. Join these groups. Start discussions with me. Let's talk about it. Let's debate. If you want to debate about something, let me tell you why you're wrong. Uh, That's a joke, by the way. But yeah, just get on these groups and talk with me and have fun with me because it's a great time. Now, I did say last week that I would start this episode off with a creature, and I'm going to keep my word. So I do want to start with a creature, and that creature is going to be the ghoul. And I wasn't going to go with the ghoul originally, but I thought maybe it would be something fun to do. When you think about just the ghoul and the Weasley's ghoul, which we're going to talk a little bit about, It might not seem like that interesting of a creature, but honestly, I think it might be kind of interesting when you look at the two variations that we have, like the typical ghoul is not a very dangerous creature at all, and it can come across as very boring or very just dull, but 
it does have a Ministry of Magic classification of two X's. And so, honestly, not that dangerous. It is an ugly creature and, again, not particularly dangerous. It does resemble a somewhat slimy bucked tooth ogre. And I don't know why it – where it comes from with maybe the – the, the sliminess. I don't know if maybe there's some kind of secretion on its skin or maybe it's drooling all over itself. It does look like a humanoid figure. It doesn't look like something that would be very slimy. Uh, I know that with the Weasleys, they get it to wear Ron's pajamas as Ron is pretending to have some sort of ailment. I'm not going to talk about what because I don't want to ruin further spoilers later on down the road, but that's kind of the the premise of it. The ghouls can wear clothes. They are humanoid figures from what it looks like, and if they're slimy, I don't understand. Are their clothes then just damp all the time? Are are they just walking around in wet clothes? And uh, for anyone who does not enjoy hearing the word damp, I apologize. But... These things got to be thought about. Like, if he's wearing pajamas all the time and he's slimy, what's going on? There's a great photo of the ghoul here in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. You see uh, a humanoid figure sitting in an attic, which is typically where they are found to be as some wizarding families kind of keep them as kind of like a pet. And so it's sitting here in an attic. He's holding a spider. And you see just little objects in and around a typical attic it also hangs out in barns but it likes to eat spiders and moths and occasionally you can hear it moaning and growing or it'll sometimes throw objects around uh, but otherwise is very simple-minded and honestly at the worst in the most it will do is kind of just growl at people and you can kind of understand where the idea comes from like when you have this creature this humanoid figure typically when you think of ghouls your mind probably very quickly goes to ghosts and you might also then think of spirits all around and usually associated with halloween time and just that whole season but here the twist is that the ghoul is not a spirit or a ghost of any kind it is a physical solid creature it can wear clothes it can be kind of taught how to do something which we we see very basically being done in the last book with the weasley's ghoul and with the characteristics of moaning and howling and growling if you as a muggle couldn't see them and maybe there is some sort of magic around them to where you can't actually see a ghoul but maybe only hear it and maybe that's where the superstition comes from again talking about in the harry potter world maybe that's where the idea of a ghoul comes from we can't actually see them we can only hear them so we think they're a spirit but in all reality they are an actual physical creature and so there was a ghoul task force or sorry there is a ghoul task force that exists at the Department of Regulation and Control of Magical Creatures to remove ghouls from dwellings that have been passed into muggle hands. But again, ghouls in wizarding families often become like a talking point or a family pet. Now, the reason I say they're not all dangerous, there I also mentioned that there's 
two kinds, or is this typical ghoul? And then there is sometimes mentioned a chameleon ghoul, which can, from my understanding, blend in either with its surroundings or take the shape or form of objects around it. And that's just to avoid detection. Again, nothing really sinister about it. And at one point, Hermione had brought it up when discussing the creature that is in the Chamber of Secrets. And so not a whole lot on this creature itself. It is brought up, as far as I know, in the Lego Harry Potter games and I believe the Hogwarts Mystery game that is a mobile Harry Potter game. I have not played it myself. It's a Harry Potter Hogwarts Mystery, but it has been brought up a few times. And so Really, that's about it. The The ghoul is this creature that is humanoid, and it is sometimes honestly kept as pets or talking points within wizarding families. Not sure about populations, about where they really are from or origins or anything like that, but it is a really cool creature. I really enjoy it. It ends up playing a key part in the series, and so, yeah, it might seem like a boring or harmless creature, but... It has its uses, and it's there. And and even in our world here, there, there are creatures that might not really seem like that interesting or anything like that, but they are still essential. And I'm sure that the ghoul in its own sense is essential somewhere, somehow. It was to the Golden Trio at one point in time, which we will obviously talk about, God willing, if we make it all the way to the last book. Now, last episode ended with us on the Hogwarts Express. We we exited the Hogwarts Express, got onto the boats, crossed the lake, ended up on the far shore at the foot of the castle, walked up some steps, and standing in front of the door where Hagrid had knocked. And that's it. That's where it ended. And so now we are here. This is Chapter 7, The Sorting Hat. And it says uh, right off the bat, we're in continuation of Hagrid knocking on the door three times, which again, I don't understand why he had to knock on the door. Like this is his place. Like he is part of Hogwarts. So why not just be able to go in? I think personally, it's probably just theatrics. It is just part of the, the process for first years. But it says that the door swung open at once and then a tall black-haired witch in emerald green robes stood there. She had a very stern face and Harry's first thought was that this was not someone to cross. Hagrid says, the first year is Professor McGonagall. And she says, thank you, I will take them from here. Now, I want to know why this is the first time that we see McGonagall here at Hogwarts as the school year has started. So we're in full swing now. And we know, well, we're going to learn at least, but for those of us who have been through this before, we know who Professor McGonagall is. We know what house she is in charge of. Why is she wearing emerald green robes? I don't understand it. I don't know if maybe... The whole head of house process maybe wasn't thought entirely through at this point. Maybe it was still just a beginning of a, a concept that J.K. Rowling wanted to implement. But for some reason, she is not rocking the traditional Gryffindor colors. She's wearing more of what seems maybe like the Slytherin color robes. And I don't know, but very weird to me. 
She's wearing the green robes. I'm not complaining. Green's my favorite color. If she wants to wear green, fine. Rock it out. That's cool. Uh, I just don't understand if the first impression it, when it comes to the houses is going to be just that, like who you are, what you're in charge of, trying to, I don't want to say push. I don't, I, don't, I don't like that there is kind of like that. I understand the inter-house competition. Like I understand that. There, there's fun in competition when done right and executed properly. Sometimes I think it's taken a little bit far whether because of emotions or, or what have you. And sometimes it is just taken a little too far between the houses, obviously, particularly Gryffindor and Slytherin. But in this case, I would see it being okay to kind of want to rep your house. And so, yeah, doesn't seem like a big point to really talk a minute or two on, but it really stuck out to me that she's wearing the green robes and not wearing like the scarlet and gold or just anything that is the Gryffindor colors. And so it says that she uh, she pulls the doors wide. The entrance hall was so big that you could have fit the whole of the Dursley's house in it. And it says that there were flaming torches, like the ones that were at Gringotts, and the ceiling was too high to really make out. And a magnificent marble staircase was facing them that led to the upper floors. Now, if you remember in the last episode, I talked about how in the first movie, they go up like it seems like several flights of stairs before they get to the Great Hall. And here you actually see the one staircase going up to the door, the door opens, and then they're going into the entrance hall. And then you see that they have this description here then a little bit of the entrance hall it says that they followed professor mcgonagall across the flagged stone floor harry could hear the drone of hundreds of voices from a doorway to the right so you're walking in and then immediately to the right must be where the great hall is he hears all of the the voices in there but it says that professor mcgonagall actually shows the first years into a small empty chamber off the hall. But the movie doesn't have this. Again, the movie has them going up random staircases, it seems like, to the Great Hall. And not sure why it's that way. They obviously change it later on as they make it more accurate to the books, thankfully. But yeah, there's a big difference right off the bat right there. Then Professor McGonagall gives her opening speech to the first years. She welcomes them to Hogwarts. She's telling them about the, the start of term banquet that's going to begin. And she says, before you're going to take your seats in the Great Hall, you're going to be sorted into your houses. And so she goes then into what the sorting is. that It's an important ceremony because while you're here, your house will be something like your family within Hogwarts. You will have classes with the rest of your house, sleep in your house dormitory, and spend free time in your house common room. Your four houses are called Gryffindor, Hufflepuff, Ravenclaw, and Slytherin. Each house has its own noble history, and each has produced outstanding witches and wizards. While you are here at Hogwarts, your triumphs will earn you house points. I don't know why I said triumphs so weirdly like that. Any rule breaking, and you will lose 
points. At the end of the year, the house with the most points is awarded the House Cup, a great honor. I hope each of you will be a credit to whichever house becomes yours. And so, at this point in the movie, we do have Professor McGonagall who comes out and actually interrupts the interaction between Harry and Malfoy as they had their exchange, what we saw actually last episode on the train. In the movie, they have that here, the one where they're talking about better choose better friends. I'm sure I could tell the wrong sort for myself. Thanks. Uh, Ron kind of laughing at Draco's name, Draco insulting the Weasley family, all of that stuff. In the movie, McGonagall comes out then and kind of interrupts everything. Here, that doesn't happen. She gives more of this extended speech. And McGonagall does give that speech, not so detailed, but does talk about a lot of the similar things in her speech here. She continues on saying that the sorting ceremony will take place in a few minutes in front of the rest of the school. I suggest you all smarten yourselves up as much as you can while you are waiting. And it says that her eyes lingered for a moment on Neville's cloak, which was fastened under his left ear and on Ron's smudged nose. He still had the dirt there, hasn't really done anything. And it said Harry nervously tries to flatten his hair. And so you you do see this almost maternal kind of like you're getting ready to meet your parents' important friends or co-workers or maybe family, and they're telling you to to make yourselves look better, be more presentable. And she points out with her eyes Neville and Ron, who still has the dirt on his nose, and Harry starts trying to mess with his hair, which I also think is, again, significant because, as we remember, his interactions with the Dursleys, a big part of it was them being upset about how unruly his hair is, and immediately that's the first thing that he goes to. So he's associating this, you need to make yourself presentable, with the idea that it's his hair, just as the Dursleys would have done. So then Professor McGonagall says that she will return for them in a moment when they are all ready for the sorting and asks them to wait there quietly. She then leaves the chamber and Harry, out of his nerves, swallows. He kind of gulps. And he asks Ron, how exactly do they sort us into houses? And we see Ron say some sort of test, I think. Fred said it hurts a lot, but I think he was joking. And... This is kind of odd to me. It's, again, one of those points where obviously J.K. Rowling probably doesn't have the entirety of the future laid out with this story. And so she doesn't know probably how deep she's going to go when it comes to what families know or don't know and how much really they, they're going to interact. Like those little things that we love about the future books, about all of the interactions with the families and stuff, probably not set up at this point. And so it's understandable that Ron would give this answer. But in hindsight, you would look back at this and say, I don't understand how Ron wouldn't know what the sorting hat is. After having so many brothers and other family members who have been through Hogwarts, you're going to tell me that Ron hasn't asked any of these things. Obviously, they've all come back representing Gryffindor, so why is it that they haven't ever talked about it? 
obviously we know they probably have, and I'm sure that this might be one point that if J.K. Rowling could go back and rewrite, it probably wouldn't be worded like this. I, that's what I would think. I wouldn't word it like this if I knew what was going to be happening in the future. But again, I wouldn't, as I was just writing this out for the first time ever, probably think about those kind of things. And so it is understandable that it is a very odd answer to give here. But he does. He says, it's some sort of test, I think. Fred said it hurts a lot, but I think he was joking. And I think that's funny that if there was this conversation with Fred, obviously they've talked about what the sorting is, and Fred said that it hurts a lot. And it says that Harry's heart gives a horrible jolt, a test in front of the whole school, but he didn't know any magic yet. So what on earth would he have to do? He hadn't expected anything like this to happen right when they arrived. And so he's panicking in his head. He's freaking out. He doesn't know what he's going to do. He doesn't know any magic. What could he possibly do in front of the school that would potentially do something to help him get where he wants to go? So he looks around anxiously and saw that everyone else looked terrified too. And no one was talking much except for Hermione Granger, who was whispering very fast about all of the spells she had learnt and wondering which one she would need. And it says that Harry tried hard not to listen to her. He had never been more nervous. Never. Not even when he had to take a school report home to the Dursleys saying that he had somehow turned his teacher's wig blue. Again, another case of accidental magic. But it says that he kept his eyes fixed on the door. And at any second, Professor McGonagall would come through and lead him to his doom. I love this. Harry is very dramatic in his mind. He is very over the top. And I just imagine J.K. Rowling trying to write what the inside of an 11-year-old boy's mind is like. And in all honesty, there's probably a lot of this overdramatic kind of thinking that happens. It's one of my favorite aspects about the first and second book is the inner workings of a very young boy in his mind, the things that he thinks about, the way that he reacts to them, the thoughts that go through his head. And Something that is very surprising to me is this, as I've learned, and my wife and I have talked about this a few times, that it's very weird that not a lot of people in the world, I don't want to say not a lot, I think it might be almost 50-50 from what I read. I could be extremely wrong and way off, and if I am, don't correct me on that one because it's not that big of a deal, but there are people who don't have an inner monologue. They don't hear words in their head. They don't hear that thought process the way that people who do have an inner monologue hear it. And so it is strange to me that that, that is a thing. However, Harry obviously has a crazy inner monologue and he says some very outlandish things to himself in his head. And I love it because it's not far off from the way that I think or have thought in the past. And even today, there are times where I'll think of just crazy things I could have said or done in a situation, or if there's something crazy that's coming up, my mind jumps to the most bizarre out there scenarios that could possibly happen in a situation. And if I had an example, I would give you one right now. I don't have one. Um, there, there was a time once where as a kid, I thought that if I could do something crazy 
to um, make a girl notice me, then I would be liked by her. And so I would sit and I would scheme up different ways to make a girl notice me. And one of them was, uh, this is really funny. Um, I wanted to pay somebody to, uh, this was during the winter, start throwing snowballs at a girl so I could come in and just save the day and beat him up and stopped the, the horrible bully from Gehanna from throwing snowballs at the girl that I liked. And again, I was probably 10 years old then just having a, a, a silly crush on somebody and it's just really funny the way that a, a young boy's mind works. And I think about some of these crazy thoughts that I have had. And I don't know why I'm on such a crazy tangent about this, but it's just really funny to think about. And so think, just stop and think about as you were a kid or a preteen or even a teenager in, or in my case, an adult, just some of the crazy childish thoughts you probably have to situations that are just over the top. And it's one of the things that I love about the early stories when it comes to Harry, because he has these thoughts where his mind just thinks about what he's going to have to do in these kind of situations. And they are way out there sometimes. And so continuing on in the story, He's there looking at the door, waiting for it to open, for Professor McGonagall to lead them into their doom. And obviously when you think doom as in like he's going to die, he's going to have to do something in front of the school, it's going to kill him, and that's it. They're, they're done. He has no trust in the establishment whatsoever, and it's hilarious to me. And it says, then something happened, which made him jump about a foot in the air, and several people around him screamed. What the, he gasped, and so did the people around him. About 20 ghosts had just streamed through the back wall. Pearly white and slightly transparent, they glided across the room, talking to each other and hardly glancing at the first years. They seemed to be arguing. And on this page, actually these, these two pages here, again, using the illustrated edition by Jim Kay, there's two full pages here that are completely black except for the writing, which is white. Starting at the top and scrolling down, they kind of get a little transparent, the words do, at the very bottom on each page as it kind of glides in towards the picture that's here across the bottom. So moving from left to right on the bottom half of the page, there are different ghosts that are coming through from left to right. And... Jim K actually added quite a few different details here. One is it looks like a skeleton wearing a transparent dress but still has white hair and also holding the skeleton of an umbrella. So the umbrella, like the wings of the umbrella are completely gone. There's nothing there to protect you from the rain. You just see what would be the the wire and the the stem of the umbrella in the handle which the skeleton is holding gliding then you have a few more ghosts to the right we see one of the ghosts that we're going to meet here really recently or not recently really soon and there are also dogs it looks like three different types of dogs and a bird all ghostly running along with the other ghosts that are here we see uh, one ghost which we're also going to learn about later called the fat friar and then we see a knight running on a horse he's running he's riding on a horse that is running the he is not running on the horse that would be terrible i don't know how you could do that um the horse is running he's riding this horse which is running and he's holding his sword 
up in the air, brandishing it, ready to, it looks like, take a swing at somebody. And it's really cool because this is not something that we see here in the movie. We see this happen in almost a very similar fashion without the animals and stuff in the Great Hall. So after they have been sorted and they're sitting at their tables, we see more of this happening. And it says that they seem to be arguing, and what looked like a fat little monk was saying, forgive and forget, I say we ought to give him a second chance. My dear friar, haven't we given peeves, I'm going to pause right there, this is one of the most frustrating things about the movies to me, that they don't have peeves. And any of you who have not read the books is probably going to ask, well, who is Peeves? We're about to find out. But let me tell you, it is a huge disservice to the entire story from book one to book seven. The fact that Peeves is not in here is a disappointment and a disservice. And I think that all of the movies need to be remade simply on the basis that Peeves should be in them. And I will fight anyone who disagrees. I don't really want to fight you, but um, I, I have some strong words for you if you disagree with me on that aspect. And so he says, My dear friar, haven't we given Peeves all the chances he deserves? He gives us all a bad name, and you know, he's really not even a ghost. I say, what are you all doing here? A ghost wearing a ruff and tights had suddenly noticed the first years, and nobody answers. And so one of the ghosts, the fat friar, says, oh, it's new students, smiling around at all of them. He's looking at them smiling, and he says, about to be sorted, I suppose. And then a few people nodded mutely. Hope to see you in Hufflepuff, said the friar. My old house, you know. Move along now, said a sharp voice. The sorting ceremony is about to start. So Professor McGonagall comes in, ushers the ghosts out, and now one by one the ghosts are floating away through the opposite wall from where they came in. Professor McGonagall tells the first years to line up and to follow her. So it says that Harry, feeling oddly as though his legs had turned to lead, got into line behind the boy with sandy hair, with Ron behind him, and they walked out of the chamber, back across the hall, and through a pair of double doors into the great hall. And I know it seems abrupt and short, but that's actually where we're going to end for tonight. I have a midterm that is coming up on Monday and a term paper that is also due and I have kind of, well, I haven't kind of, I, I have waited to the last minute to finish them up. And I've had a, a plenty of time to work on them. I just have had a lot to do. Not to make excuses. Don't ever make excuses for not doing your work. If you have work, if you have obligations, listen to me. Do them. Don't put them off to the last minute. It's just going to create unnecessary stress. And I'm not just cutting this off now for that. I want to make sure that I do the second half of this chapter, the due diligence, the, the, I want to give it what it deserves. It, it is owed great respect because it is a really important part of the story and what's coming up. And I honestly can't wait to talk about it. It's going to be really cool. We're going to dig into a little bit of the history of the, the sorting and possibly the sorting 
hat. I, I don't know how deep I want to get into it because I know more of it is discussed later in the series and I would like to talk about it more then. But for now, I do want to leave it there. But I did want to share something really quick. Over on our Reddit page, we did have a conversation that we brought up where I talked about Ron's wand and how it was a hand-me-down and just that whole theory that I talked about in the last episode about how I think that affects him as he's going through his first year. It wasn't a wand that I think that he wanted as it was a reminder of just the poverty and the situation where he is coming from. You see that he does not like the hand-me-downs. He wants brand new things and about how that situation led to just, I think, poor magic on his part and not taking away from who Ron is. Cause I think Ron is, um, at the very least an average wizard. I think he's much more than that. I think he is very smart. The way that he can play chess, chess. I don't know why I said it like that. The way that he can play chess shows an aptitude for strategy well beyond his years in the way that he handles himself. He is a smart kid. He is a, I think, a powerful wizard. I think some might argue with me about it. That's fine. But I think he does really good magic, even despite the fact that he has a wand that might not have an allegiance to him. But what I'm getting at is this, is it led to a question where somebody asked about wand lore, not really understanding that whole dynamic. And it led to a really cool just conversation where I gave a very thorough, detailed look into just this particular example when it comes to wand lore. And if you guys want to read it, go over and check it out. It is on Reddit under my group, Common Room Talk. Shouldn't be too hard to find. The logo is the same as every episode that we put out here. And so, yeah, go check it out. I also wanted to say, too, if there is anything that you guys want to talk about, I know that I'm going through chapter by chapter, and that's the the whole premise of this, and it's for longevity. I'm hoping that it will take a long time to get through the entire series chapter by chapter, and it'll give us hopefully a few years' worth of stuff to talk about and to, to continue on with the podcast. But if you guys ever want to talk about anything or if you ever have a question that you want to talk about, please email me, commonroomtalk at gmail.com or find me on Facebook and send me a message there uh, in the, the Common Room group page. I'm thinking I might make a Twitter and I might also make an actual Facebook account under the name of Common Room Talk. I do have an Instagram where I'm kind of just trying to share episodes there. But come find me on any of these platforms. Email me. Talk to me. Let me know what you guys think and what you want to do. I really want to interact with you guys. I want to hear your thoughts. But if there's anything you want to know, please ask and we will talk about it. I'll share it live here on the episodes. And even if you just want to just geek out with me, if you have something that you're extremely excited about, Email me, tell me about it, and I will talk about it here in the episode. So yeah, if you guys wouldn't mind, if you're enjoying this, if you enjoy the episodes, if you like listening, please share it. Go on and like it. We are on YouTube also. Go on there, like and subscribe to Common Room Talk on YouTube. That way it's kind of just branded more and other people will want to see it. YouTube will actually kind of push it a little bit more when it is liked and subscribed 
also on Apple Podcasts. If you guys can, go in, leave a review. If you're enjoying it, be honest. If you don't like it, leave an honest review. I'm not going to sit here and just ask for five-star reviews. I want honesty. I want to know what you guys think. But if you guys do go on Apple Podcasts and leave a review, leave a written review, and Apple will also promote the show more that way as well. We are being listened to all over the world. We have people in Saudi Arabia, in Romania. We've had people in Ireland, in Australia. We've had people in Italy. We've had people just literally all over the world listening. And that is so crazy to me that whoever you are in Romania that has listened to every episode, please email me commonroomtalk at gmail.com. I want to know who is in Romania listening because it is so cool that somebody in Romania is listening to me talk about Harry Potter. It literally blows my mind. You guys are wonderful. Thank you so much for listening. Please like and share it. Talk about it. Anybody in your life who has an interest in Harry Potter, tell them about it. What could it hurt? They'll get to enjoy a podcast with you it's a talking point which you guys can talk about too as well so yes thank you again so much for listening you guys honestly make this this i I am having a really hard time saying words that end with an s tonight and i i think as i'm going back through this episode and editing out some of these things it's going to be really funny to hear how terrible i am at talking because i am truly terrible at talking sometimes But again, thank you guys so much for listening. My name's Tony. I'm your host. And this is Common Room Talk.